and welcome to another Dr. Supercoach podcast. I'm joined this day, I should say, considering we're on a daily basis now, Pistol, by Pistol. <laughs> you kind of really ruined that surprise by uh, saying that I was on it before we actually started, but thanks for having me, JB, and it's crazy that you're on another podcast. I think you've done something like four in like six days or something, so um, yeah, people must be sick of you shortly by now. Well, I'm sick of talking to people, so... Uh, hopefully this is my last for the season. <laughs> no, don't say that. You'll be uh, right back in the thick of it after round one. Yes, no, I do have a lot more energy to go. So uh, this week we're jump- well, this day we're jumping into the midfielders, and I think this could be our most important. And we're dropping it about twelve hours before the first bounce. So uh, we've got to get this information out there as soon as possible, pistol. And let's get straight into discussion. So we'll start off with. Let's just go straight off the bat about the most important decision anyone is going to make about their Supercoach team. Don't try and argue with me on that one. It is the biggest decision people will be making on their Supercoach team this year, whether you're going for leagues, ranking, or just hoping to quit at round three. It is the most important decision, and that's whether we start Patrick Dangerfield or not Pistol. So you and I haven't compared teams since uh, about the end of the JLT, so a couple of weeks ago now. I want to know, since this Dangerfield news, if you have him in your side or not. You said don't argue, so I thought we were going to talk about Dusty Martin, to be honest. But um, no, after that 40-second introduction to the uh, simple question of are you starting Dangerfield or not, um, I think... It's huge. (laughs) It is actually huge, but... It's, it's kind of frustrating because we, we generally just don't know enough information about will he be named for round one or won't he be named. I find it very unlikely he's named, but if he is named, then obviously you know, you've know you got to start Patrick Dangerfield. And not only that, if he is named and he is a late out, I see a lot of people suggesting that they pick up then like Selwood or Oliver or some other midfielder that plays after. But if he's named for round one and then is a late out, he's going to play round two. So you may as well just pick him. You've got Tim Kelly coming off the bench. who probably gets more midfield time because Dangerfield's out. And Tim Kelly's a beast and he scored really well in the JLT. He probably you know, scores 80 or so and you don't lose too many points. And you've got Dangerfield for round two and you don't have to worry about all the trades and all that. So my plan is if Dangerfield is named, he's in no matter what. If he's not named JB, I think this is where you and I will differ. Um, I don't plan on starting Dangerfield, which is too much of a cheeso move, but here we are. Um, We've got Dangerfield potentially not being named for round one, which means we have uncertainty about whether he's going to play round two. Got uncertainty whether he's going to play round three, because I think the quote is he'll be right for round two or three. And then if it's round three, his first game obviously over in uh, Western Australia, and then you've got two weeks before his price changes as well, coming off quite a lengthy layoff. Who knows what will happen? Maybe he'll score well, maybe he won't. Um, It's just a lot of uncertainty that I'd rather not have. If if you told me going into it that he's definitely missing three weeks, I definitely wouldn't pick him. It's just an uncertainty that makes me uh, a bit confused. Um, So that's a short summary, basically, of uh, what I think uh, I would do in in the situation that Dangerfield... Um, isn't going to be named round one. And what are your thoughts, JB? Okay, so I'm not going to let you get away with uh, an answer that easy. I will ask more questions as to what your tactics will be to get in Dangerfield if you do end up not starting him. But I will address a couple of the things you discussed in your answer. 
First of all, the will he play round two or three if he's not named round one? So my thought process here, and I could be way off the mark because we, like you said, we're in a very, very unknown uh, position here with Dangerfield. And I don't think we'd be contemplating starting anyone in this amount of doubt for round one uh, unless it was Patrick Dangerfield. But my thought process is if he's a chance, a 50-50 chance for round one, which Scott said he's still a little chance and was still waiting for that team news, then surely, surely that means put put an extra seven, eight, nine days rest on it. Surely that means he plays round two regardless, which makes me think your whole reasoning behind starting him, even if he's named and we know he's out for the first round because you know he'll play the second, makes me kind of think, well, if he's such a good chance to play the first round, surely he's going to play the second anyway. And it's sort of just like, it, we're, we're all just thinking, well, we'd love for a, a medical just report to come out and just say, no, he's guaranteed out for three rounds. That'd make it a lot easier. But I think he misses one round max. And the points that people would gain by not having him will be very minimal compared to those who just start him and take Kelly's decent score off the bench or whoever. Maybe you've got Banfield on the bench or or something like that. So my argument is, Pistol, that he's going to miss one round max. Yeah, so I just don't believe what Scott said because he's changed his mind. He said, touch and go for round one. He said, oh, I'm not sure if we'll be between rounds two and three. I, I just think he's you know, throwing everyone off the scent. I can't really trust what he thinks. As you said, if there was a medical report, I would trust that, um, but not a coach that's trying not to give any... Um, extra spoilers to their opposition so i yeah don't don't really buy that it'll be necessarily just one week if i did know it'd be one week i'd start him but if it's uh uncertain if it's three weeks i definitely wouldn't start him so um that's the logic behind that and i know you're going to ask so i'll just tell you my answer anyway of how i plan to get in danger field um quite simply i am going to start with a little bit of money in the bank i'm not talking 200k ridiculous i'm talking you know 100k and I have Caniglio, and at the moment, with GWS's easy first six, seven weeks, I'm hoping that um, Caniglio can average about 105, and in that case, Dangerfield would only need to average something like 118, oh, sorry, wrong way, he'd only have to average like 125, 126, um, and I'd be able to straight swap Caniglio to Dangerfield after about round five or round six, uh, depending on some of the price changes. And I think I should be okay with the amount that I've uh, left in the bank. But then again, if I'm wrong, I just have to downgrade the rookie. Um, maybe prematurely, maybe one will be dropped. Maybe Wig will come in early uh, or a Hearn or one of those rookies that I jump on a bit earlier. I'll get a bit of extra cash and I'll be able to make that trade. And then, um, yeah, then the team's looking good. So, you know, each to their own. But I don't think I would recommend having over 200 plus K because. I mean, that, that's a lot. You could definitely spend an extra 100K to improve your team. Um, and if you spend all the money and have zero, which I've seen a lot of people do, you're probably burning about three trades to get Dangerfield, which is, in my opinion, a bit too too many. I'd rather one if I had to do any. I know you think zero. Um, but yeah, two, two at worst case. Three is way too many for me. Okay, and just a heads up to, to whoever's listening, this will be a good 10, 12 minute discussion because we've got a lot more to talk about uh, in regards to Dangerfield. So if you have already made your mind up, probably a good idea to skip ahead a bit. 
So my next question to you, Pistol, and I think a lot of people, especially those starting Dangerfield, uh, are having this query. What happens if Coniglio starts in such a way that he's untradeable from your side? So if he starts in a way in which he's looking like being a top 10 midfielder uh, comfortably, which we know he's got the scoring potential and that GWS had that really good starting run, are you still going to burn a trade getting someone that is top 10 potential up to Dangerfield? Is that worth it? And is that the sort of value we're putting on a trade where everyone, well, not everyone, that's, that's crazy to say, a lot of people have issues maintaining their trades during the season and end up running out. Are we using a trade, an already premeditated trade, when we so easily run out towards the end of the season on someone that could be back in a round? That's another great question. I think uh, the answer will lie in exactly what Coniglio is averaging. If he's averaging 120, um, I'm not going to trade him out just because he's obviously on track for a monster year. If he's averaging less than 110, I would, wouldn't really worry about averaging out because I think um, he'll do a little bit worse after the easy easy draw. If he's averaging 115, then I'm stuck because we probably can't trade him um, and I'm not really sure what we'll do. So, you know, we'll have to take that as it comes. But really, you you need to think of buying low, selling high. I think uh, the Dimowitz in, I think it was 2011, um, had Cloak as a starter and he dominated for the first half a dozen or actually longer games and he actually sold him out at peak price to another primo while everyone was buying cloak um, and he won I know the people that started with weight in 2016 or bought weight after one week um, before price rises he averaged 120 for five weeks um, and he was like 580k or something and then they sold him and then you know he fell off the face of the earth and they they made a quick 150k um wasn't even on a rookie player it's not even a mid-price player you know on a premium player um and that was also the optimal strategy so um yeah there's there's plenty of ways to play this game and it's just a different i guess strategy that doesn't come into play very often but i think there's an opportunity now and hopefully i can take advantage of it and uh i know you're going to ask the next question so i'll just preemptively uh answer who am I probably going to get instead of Dangerfield because it doesn't necessarily have to be Coniglio because it's probably in my team anyway. And, well, actually, I'm going to cut myself off and say, JB and I haven't seen each other's teams um, after the JLT, so we actually have no idea besides Dangerfield um, what our teams look like. So that will be a surprise starting round one. But um, I'm considering, not locked, but considering picking Gary Ablett um, as a replacement of Dangerfield because obviously when Gaz is on the park, he averages a ridiculous amount of points, which is why he's priced so expensive. If Dangerfield is out, Gaz becomes a good cap- captain option, um, a unique captain option as well. He's basically in no teams. And if you're willing to basically captain Gaz for hopefully you know, one, two or three rounds, not really sure, and keep that extra money in the bank, however much it, it is between Dangerfield and Gaz. Um, when Danger is back, you could end up trading Gaz back to Dangerfield, obviously before Gaz breaks down, because it's going to happen or rested at some stage, and then you just bank however many points um, you've gained on the people that had started Dangerfield and weren't, weren't scoring anything or over the rookie. So, you know, if you make over 100 points out of it, I'd argue that one trade is worth at least 100 points. So um, that is another viable tactic that I'm considering, but I'm not as keen as as that on as the Coniglio 
plan, but definitely um, something to consider for maybe some of the more um, risk takers out there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not at all arguing that what you're thinking of doing uh, is is incorrect because like you said, there's many ways to play this game and each way you've explained that move does make sense um, except for the fact that, like I said, Caniglio could start well. Um, what if they, uh, what if Ablett's averaging 125 after four rounds and then Ablett, uh, Dangerfield comes out and do this, does the same thing? I'm sure I'd be the first person to get those two confused this year. <laughs> uh, so are you willing to, well, after three or four rounds of having Gaz at his best and as a point of difference, you're willing to just trade him then just thinking that he'll get injured or Matt, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors and I'm, I'm going to stop the discussion there, but I think, I think it's definitely an interesting one and it, it really relies on your game style. So personally, I'm a bit more of a conservative player. I'd rather bank that trade on everyone else that doesn't start with him because I know I'm going to have to get him. I hope he misses just the one week. Tim, Skelly, Tim Kelly scores 80 in his place. I lose maybe 20, 30 points, and I make that up with a point of difference, danger field captaincy over the next few weeks. So um, I also don't want to have money in the kitty there because I find it awkward looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of factors, I guess, and it just depends on your style of play. A lot of people are asking what they should do in regards to danger field, and that's the answer. It just depends on your style of play and how you like to play this game. Think of your own tactics. There's no right or wrong answer because we don't know what's going to happen with him. And having said that, I'm going to jump onto the next player before this becomes the Dangerfield podcast and we talk about it for an hour. <laughs> so the next player is Dustin Martin. So there's been a lot of uh, teams that I've seen a pre-JLT without him. During the JLT, he was excellent. Um, he averaged 94 off around 65% time on ground, which is amazing. He looks like he's hasn't taken a step back from last year. No premiership hangover. He won. A lot of people argue he won every award. How is he going to get better? He only needs to stagnate, but he does have room to improve as well. And explain it, Pistol. <laughs> well, I should say, oh, you know, I'll answer your question first, and then I'll slightly twist the topic, but. People forget last year, Dusty was carrying an injury. Um, so there's some games that he was actually going to probably, they, they thought he might be a late out. He kept coming up saying, he's not going to play, he's not going to play. Um, he was just sore for a lot of weeks. So his scores were a little bit lower um, in those games than the rest of the season. And not only that, Richmond's draw for the first 10 weeks is unbelievable, JB. Um, I can't remember properly, but off the top of my head, they play two finalists from last year in the first 10 weeks which is insane and it's common knowledge that generally players will average more in wins and losses they get a larger piece of the super coach pie um, it's usually a five to ten point variance you can work it out with any player in the, in the wins and losses maybe not uh, Carlton players because they they don't have any wins but um, Dusty will actually I believe, um, perform much better in the first 10 weeks. And then people are going to be trading him in and they're going to have missed that amazing run. I also expect Richmond to win a lot of games this year. They're, they're a dominant force. And I just think, look, you're paying this price with the uncertainty, in my opinion, around Dangerfield. If you don't start Dangerfield, you have to start Dusty because he's the next best captain option. And you need to pick a vice captain. You need to loophole and you need to pick a captain. So if you're not picking the next two best players... And you're not getting Dangerfield. You're just in trouble because you're going to have to not only get Dusty, you're going to have to get Dangerfield. It's just a, a lot to work out on. You're missing out on the captain's points. And I think it's just a bad 
you know, tactic move um, in that case. So, yeah, Dusty for me is absolutely locked in my side. And I think for the first 10 weeks, um, he's going to blow us all away. Yeah, and I'd expect nothing less, especially seeing that JLT. I thought Richmond might be a bit of a slider this year, not not to the Western Bulldogs extent, but uh, just a little bit down the ladder to around that, that five to eight mark, uh, whereas a lot of people are predicting the top four. I've quickly changed my opinion after seeing their JLT form. And I know it's just preseason, but they looked as hungry as, as ever and acted like they had not won a game for three years. So uh, that's the mentality you want to see. And that's the type of mentality that'll get you big wins and big super coach scores. So uh, it's good to see Dusty at the forefront of that. Uh, the next player is Tom Mitchell on the list here. Che- uh, Pistol. Well, I've spoken to Chizo too much in the last couple of days. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Tom Mitchell, 119 average off around 85% time on ground. Uh, I don't think there's any real discussion that needs to be had. He's going to score 100 most weeks, 140 every fifth week, and that's about it. Yeah, I think the only, I guess, con against Tom Mitchell is he gets 36 touches per game. You know, where's that room for improvement going to come from? Um, I hear that question being asked, and it's just if Hawthorne's going to win more games, he might score a bit more, but you're right. You're, you're probably paying top dollar for him, but the thing is, He's Mr. Consistent, as JB would say, and you're just not going to be able to get him much cheaper because he just scores his average every week. So um, a safe selection. I think there's nothing wrong with picking Titchen. Playing Collingwood in first round where he averages like 50 gazillion touches against us, um, he'll probably start off the season with a bang. What was his last score against Collingwood? Or, or two scores ago, I can't, can't remember. Oh, I just I think he got 52 touches and then 48 touches, so whatever <laughs> scores they worked out to be, uh, I think they were both big I think 160s. He, I think he double-tunned and I had him as captaincy that week. No, no, I think it was, uh, wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next player being Gary Ablett, who you spoke about earlier, uh, those who are starting with uh, Dangerfield and not trying your tactic as Gary Ablett into Dangerfield, not that you will end up trying that tactic. Um, so those picking him for the season, is he the type of player we can really trust to play 18-plus uh, or even 15-plus games? Is it the type of player we want to start the year with? Look, it's a tough one to call. I mean, how much was actually injuries last year? I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you, but... I think he will miss games given his age. Maybe they don't put him on a long flight somewhere. Um, but, you know, we'll see. He, he'll dominate when he's playing at home. I'm in front of the home crowd in Geelong. He'll absolutely dominate. So he's someone that you always need to like keep your eye on. But I don't know if it's worthwhile starting him. Yep, definitely. And uh, especially considering, like I said, the games played uh, for the last few years has been an issue. I don't have a lot of faith in Gold Coast medical staff. So let's see how he goes for the first half of the year before we even consider locking him in it'd be crazy to see him come out with a 125 plus average and play all the games leading up to the bye everyone would be like what are we thinking it's Gary Ablett but uh we do have younger talent coming through and one of those players is Josh Kelly so uh, is there any doubt over this man after his uh, 120 average in the JLT uh room to have more percentage time on ground as well we didn't hit his average for last year so uh josh kelly is he locked i think he was locked in for a lot of people just based on his aesthetically pleasing game style (laughs) pistol um but now he just he just looks like he's gonna average 115 120 even and just be amazing yeah i mean i'm just gonna say i agree with everything you said that the con that people are seeing is you know is he he just broke out so massively. Is he going to be able to maintain it? But I mean, if you've watched any games where Josh Kelly's playing, you're probably thinking you're 
you're looking at a future Brownlow medalist and he will probably maintain it. So I'm not too worried about uh, Josh Kelly potentially, you know, dropping off the face of the earth and averaging like 100 flat. I just can't see it happening. He's too good. Yep, exactly right. And he's one of the only, I think, five or six players that hasn't moved from my starting selection. The next player, Clayton Oliver, who I've flirted with a little bit this preseason, 103 average of only about 75% time on ground. He can improve on that tank a little bit. Uh, in doubt for the first round, does that mean we pass up on him or does that mean we jump on the point of difference? I actually thought you had Clayton Oliver, so that's a surprise to me. I know you said uh, he'd only dropped below the ton like twice or something throughout the whole season, so you are pretty pretty high on him. Um, yeah, if he's in doubt in the first round, obviously doubt doesn't mean much, but if, he, if he's ruled out, you're not going to start him. And if he's playing, then um, he could be a completely fine pick and uh, quite a unique midfield pick. Yep, definitely. And Zorko, uh, speaking of uniqueness, 127 in 81% time on ground. Another player that will see as a point of difference. My only concern with him, and I think I've uh, spoken to you about this specifically, Pistol, is that he, uh, when he was tagged last year, he honestly looked like the most useless football player to ever put on boots. <laughs> he, was, he was honestly tagged so easily out of the game that if he's in a real dominant period of his season, I don't think we can rule out the fact that he's not going to get tagged. So um, we can't rule out the fact that he might get tagged, I, might, I should say. So especially considering Brisbane might, might be a little bit more competitive, if there are more games and he's dominating, I wouldn't be shocked to see someone like Benny Jacobs run over to him and, and sort of just try and nullify him, which has been successful in the past. Is this a worry for you, Pistol? Yeah, it's a slight concern. I mean, I still think most teams will tag Rich and then potentially Beams um, before Zorko, but definitely Rich because it's so damaging off that halfback. Um, but look, he, he's very consistent. You've just got to worry about the tag, and if you don't think he'll be tagged, then I'd pick him. Perfect. <laughs> Nothing else needs to be said. Uh, the next person, a point of difference for me, I'd imagine them to have been in more teams considering their run home, his run home personally last season, and his JLT form, so 103 average in about 75% time on ground, which is astounding, uh, and he looks like he's going to keep on improving. Matt Crouch, 608k, another premium that we can just lock and load, or like, do we see any issues with the Matt Crouch selection? Look, I'm just going to say 125 average after the buy, then people say, okay, well, Gibbs is coming in, something's got to give, and they're right, something has to give, but Brad Crouch, eight, out for six to eight weeks, Probably going to have to consider Matt Crouch at least. Uh, I think he, he'll start off like a house on fire. But um, yeah, most people are willing to wait and see on him and see how the Gibbs um, factor will affect him. Yep, and we're nearing the end of our 600k plus mids. The next one is Rory Sloan, who I'm, I'm just going to step right up and say I don't think a lot of people have him in consideration and he'd need to start very, very well during the season for him to put his hand up for consideration. A player I want to ask you about, uh, a huge point of difference, only 60 in his first JLT game in about 61% time on ground, which isn't too bad, and then exploded from 145 in his second JLT game, giving him an average of 102. This guy, Mitch Duncan, is now the fourth in line for a tag, and only dipped below the, the 100 or the 90 mark, I should say, very, very few times last year. Very consistent player. 
Is he someone that you think can maintain his average and maybe even improve on it, or is he going to get pushed out of that midfield? He's not going to get pushed out of the midfield at all. There's enough spots. You can have four big big guns in the midfield, but the thing is, like, is he going to improve with Gary Ablett in the side? Probably not. I think the best-case scenario is he maintains, and that's a great average to maintain, but really... Um, yeah, I don't think you're getting enough value when you're selecting someone like Mitch Duncan to start the year and the, the bad buy as well. Yeah, the bad buy is definitely a factor, I think. Uh, and in classic uh, Pistol versus JB style, the next two players, Zach Merritt and Lockie Neal, I know they have altering buys, but we always compare these two guys. You usually being on the side of Zach Merritt and me being a big fan of Lockie Neal, they're both within 1.3K of each other this year. And both did well in the JLT, considering Merritt had a concussion in the first one. What do you think of these two guys as proper point of difference selections? I thought we were going to switch this year, and I was going to be uh, Team Neil, and you're going to be Team Zarat, JB. No, 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 no. I'm <laughs> Team Neil for life. <laughs> well, uh, look, I'll, I'll say right off the bat, I'm predicting a big year for for Lockie Neil. Obviously, his touches I think dropped from like 34 to 27. Um, I think he's going to get right back up up there in those possessions and more possessions for him. He, he, actually, funnily enough, his supercoach average barely changed when he, he lost all the possessions. So hopefully when he gets them this time, um, it'll just rocket back up. I, I think uh, Neil has potential to be one of the top six midfielders in the game. So uh, for me, the massive ceiling is there uh, for Lockie Neil. Zach Merritt, I still think, probably is in the top six selection, but top eight, I, I think, is uh, more fair for, for Zach Merritt. Um, look, it's hard to judge Essendon. Everyone thinks they're going to improve because of all their recruits, and I'm kind of more on the fence about that. So um, for me, I think Zeret is a good chance, a very good chance, um, to at least hold his average, maybe increase by a couple of points per game. Um, but I don't see him jumping to like next level 120 average. Um, and I also don't see him falling you know, below 105. So a safe pick with a good buy, um, quite unique as well. There's a lot to like about Merritt. So, yeah, both of these picks, I think, are wonderful. So you're still team Merritt by the sounds of it. (laughs) I think Neil this year will beat him. Oh, so I've won. I've won the argument. You haven't won the argument. It's a fresh year. Yes. Um, I'm the winner. (laughs) I think Neil will outscore Merritt this year. But I think that Merritt is still going to be a very valuable pick. Good to see another JB fan out there, Pistol. I do appreciate it. Uh, so the next guy, Nat Fife, is a lock. We don't even need to talk about him. A few uh, a few point of difference picks and around that five, uh, 530 to 600K mark. Um, I'm going to read out a few names. Can you just tell me the most relevant players that you've considered for your supercoach and why and why not you may be picking them? So uh, first of all, Scott Penderbury, um, obviously his, his record speaks for itself. A pair of 60s in the JLT off 82 and 50% game time. So one end of the spectrum and the other. Uh, and then you've got someone like Bontempelli, who's very, very close in price, obviously a lot younger and had a very good JLT series. What do you think of these two guys, first of all, comparatively, and have you considered either of them? I haven't considered either of them um, strongly. However, I did <laughs> consider Bont and Pelly today for the first time. Um, look, Bont, I love as a player, as a pick. I've had him, you know, 
the last two seasons, um, and he's he's always been good to me. But the thing is, he he said he plans to spend as much time forward as he did uh, this year, as he did last year. And when he did that um, towards the last half of the season, he didn't average um, very well. But when he plays as a pure midfielder, he's off the charts in his scoring. So I just don't know how I feel about Bontempelli. I, I think McRae could even be um, a better pick than Bontempelli, which might be a big call, but he did score more than him last year, so maybe not that big of a call. Um, and I think McRae could add um, some goal kicking into his uh, skill set. So I think McRae might have a bit more um, points to jump up there. But yeah, back to Pendlebury, because it's hard to not talk about Pendlebury as a Collingwood supporter. But <laughs> Pendlebury is not going to be playing off the back. He's not going to be playing forward. All that stuff is rubbish. He's going to be locked on ball. It's Pendlebury. Collingwood have a Easy draw. We'll get more more wins, hopefully. Um, our game style last year didn't really suit him. Um, we kicked it across the grounds very often. Um, short, sharp kicks sideways, which don't earn very many points. Apparently, we're going to be going through heavy stoppages and down the corridor, which will suit Scott Pendlebury, um, and to an extent, Trelaw as well. Um, I don't know if I'll you know, back Pendles to go back ab- above 110, um, but I think that 110 is certainly within his reach. Yeah, and obviously it's hard to not trust someone who's done it so many times before in their career. Now, three players I'd like to uh, to compare with you. Three players, three different buys, all around the exact same price, all within 10K of each other. Firstly, Lukey Parker, 113 average off of 84% time on ground. That's back to the Luke Parker of a couple of years ago where we all needed to get him into our sides. If we expect Sydney to improve this year, which I think a lot of people do, it wouldn't be shocking to see Parker go back to his best. Paddy Cripps, the man that everyone has spoken about, 20% uh, ownership and above. Uh, obviously, 111 average in the JLT of uh, about 80% time on ground, which is excellent. Uh, drifted forward a bit more, but kicked plenty of goals, which is what you need him to do. And then finally, a bit of a smoky Lockie Whitfield. Uh, Average more than both of these two with a 141 helping you score out in that second JLT. And just a really consistent performer. Someone who might be running off that halfback flank. Do you think that role suits him? And how do you compare the three? Look, I think uh, you could ask how many players average above 110 running off a halfback flank. And um, it's not a long list. Uh, You've got, well, I won't go into it, but, you know, Delito and Goddard in the heyday. But we'll just say... um, I think that Parker and Cripps are both a better pick than Whitfield, so um, I won't talk too much about Whitfield. But Cripps, say lock him in for 110. I think is uh, you've you've got Gibbs leaving, Doherty's out, someone has to score well uh, for Blues, and it's probably going to be Jed Lamb. No, it's probably not going to be Jed Lamb. It's probably going to be Patrick <laughs> Cripps. And I think, uh, yeah, he's... He's a bull. He gets a lot of contested possessions. Too many handballs for my liking, but he still finds ways to score well, and I think he'll score well this year. Luke Parker, on the other hand, round 14 bye. Um, I'm a big fan. I do think he can bounce back to his best. Maybe not his best, but a little bit below his best. I think he can also go 110 um, as a goal-kicking midfielder. Swans are going to be awesome this year. Uh, I think Parker is a very good pick, but I'm so concerned about that round 14 bye. JB... You're not taking the buy into consideration at all. Um, I'm going to throw two names at you within 5K of each other. Um, just before we move on, just quickly about your thoughts on each one. Joel Selwood, 562K. Dane Beams, 557K. Yeah, that wow, very, very difficult to pick. I think Dane Beams definitely has the highest ceiling of the two uh, in terms of average. I think he goes... 
he goes close to well I, th- I think he does go to about 115 if he plays all his matches but the problem is he doesn't generally play all of his matches he didn't play in the preseason at all and that's why I would choose Joel Selwood because uh, just backing in Beams's durability is almost insane so Joel Selwood uh, now being the second or third player in line for a tag I don't think he'll see that at all this year and we know he actually does deal well with it anyway uh, 107 off uh, three quarters of a game in his JLT, JLT2 I think Selwood's probably the safer pick to play or to outscore but Beam's the safer pick to out average so do with that what you will Pistol <laughs> well Beam's uh, it's been unfair to him I think uh, his dad passing he wasn't actually injured when he missed the JLT and he did play in the scratch match uh, right before the JLT and dominated but you're right he's got a massive injury risk right there which is the only reason that I wouldn't pick Dane Beams because I also think that when he's on the park he is a star and he could definitely definitely average more than 115 and is a potential top six midfielder so big call but um yeah I won't won't back down from that one Beams is a bloody good super coach player JB yeah, and definitely in terms of average, he's right up there with, with some of the better picks. So uh, if you're backing him in to be durable, then then I'd definitely rate him as a selection. Now, I've got two more players to ask you about before we switch the uh, like we'll switch the panel like we did last podcast. And firstly, it is Tom Rockliffe. So didn't play any JLT, didn't have a huge preseason, got injured uh, not too long ago, actually. Uh, obviously spoken to be a certain starter for round one, so there's no issues there. How much can we consider Rockliffe, considering you're the round 10 by self-proclaimed expert? How much can we consider Rockliffe in comparison to these other midfielders? <laughs> um, I, I like Tom Rockliffe um, as a person. No, I like, I like him as a super coach option and as a person. <laughs> and at 530k, it's a nice price, but the problem is, I mean, you might know more about this than I, um, as a Port fan, but his role, is he going to be playing, you know, 100% time in the midfield? I don't know. He, he's quite a capable forward as well. Don't really know what to expect. He could average between 105 and like 130. So, um, yeah, really depends on on uh, what you think personally Tom Rockliffe will average. I'm, I can't, you could throw it, literally, you could throw any number between 105 and 130, and I would not be surprised um, for Tom Rockliffe. But look, you can start him with a round 10 buy. Um, I think it's a bit overrated. As as we've said before, you, you get a rookie score from your midfield bench that week. Maybe it's a Tim Kelly who scores a 70, and that's great. And then during the buys, whenever you would have had that other alternative primo, like I'm not going to say, let's just say Carry Ablett for some reason. Um, and you've got round 14, and then you've got a rookie filling in. Um, and in round 14, especially, you don't have enough primos to knock out a uh, rookie score. So you're getting a rookie off the bench as well. It's, it's the same thing. Um, the only way, I guess, it's different is if you are choosing between a uh, round 12 by player rather than a round 13 or 14, because you probably can't field 18 primos in uh, round 13 or 14, but you can probably field um, 18 primos in round 12. So in that case, if you're comparing him to a Crips, um, I would be taking the Crips, but usually if you're comparing him to someone from round 14 or whatever, it's just whoever you think will average the most. 
That was a long answer. Um, <laughs> down, no, <laughs> to the last midfield player I'll bring up, and that is uh, someone that obviously has a high ownership, and uh, yeah, I mean, you see him in every second team. He's been locked into mine for a while, and uh, I actually do consider him as a captain option uh, very early on, and that's Sean Higgins. <laughs> I, I saw where that was going. I was like, okay, he's going to either ask me about Jack Stephen. Caniglio or Sean Higgins um, and fortunately uh, it was about Sean Higgins so yeah I'd love to tell you how many tons he's going to score because uh, I did hear on the last podcast JB you plan on pledging $10 for every time Sean Higgins scores less than a ton I wish it was a two-way bet because I'd be rich by the end of the season oh uh, well I'm glad you're confident um, I reckon you'd be you're going to be donating a couple of thousands of dollars uh because I assume it lasts his career. It's <laughs> not even that many games. I don't know how I'd do that. Well, I don't know. Go to his house and watch him eat and be like, yep, that's uh, less than 100. It'll just uh, I mean, pay I, up. I'd do that anyway, but I'm not paying for it. <laughs> that's true. He's probably paying you. <laughs> okay. All right. Next <laughs> up. Um, well, would we like to switch the panel now, Pistol, considering you're in such good form? Well, look... Uh, Let's do that, but I think you were talking about Canigliu before. I'm, I'm actually not sure. <laughs> were you were you going there with no, that? No, I, was, I wasn't going to discuss Canigliu at all because we did talk about him earlier when discussing Dangerfield. You and I both think he's an excellent uh, excellent choice. I think he can go 110 to 120 even, uh, anywhere in that mark of 110 to 120. You think he's got the potential of going just under 110 and think he might be more of a stepping stone rather than a bona fide top 10 premium. I think he might be a bona fide top 10 premium, and we both think he's a great selection. All right. I want a quick one-sentence answer on this. Dion Prestia's missing round one. Can you possibly select him? No, you can't possibly select him. I wouldn't have really considered it before he was ruled out for round one. I think he's got potential to do well in a draft league, but not someone that I'd be looking at in the uh, normal format until he makes me pick him. Yeah, I know uh, rocks and glass houses, but I uh, did say one sentence, so let's move on to the next one. Jack Redden, 437k. Uh, people are selecting him, expecting him to break out. What are your thoughts? I think he can average up to uh, about 105, but not enough to be a bonafide premium, so therefore a little bit too expensive for me. Tom Liberatore, 434k. Has shown that he can be a bonafide premium, so if he gets that midfield Tom like he did in the JLT... A pick that I actually would like to have in my side, but can't fit him in with Coniglio. Uh, if you think Libby will do better than Coniglio, which I think there's a bit of an argument there, not a huge one, then I would pick Tom Libertoro based on your gut feeling. Ryan Bastanak, 434k. <laughs> Obviously, someone that if there was a triple captain in the game, we would use on every week, but there's not, so he's not selectable. That's a nice uh, FPL reference there. Um, next one. I'm trying to scroll down and find it. Braden Fiorini, 387k. And uh, maybe shout his JLT scores. <laughs> maybe something that you're better off speaking about because I won't give as, as good a review as you would. So why don't you go ahead? He turned up in both JLTs. He averaged 103 across the two. He's a massive ball winner as a junior. And basically now, without Gaz, he's uh, kind of got free reign behind Lyons and Hall in that uh, Gold Coast midfield, and I think Fiorini's probably an underrated uh, POD mid-pricer extraordinaire, and uh, I think he's definitely one to watch. I don't know, you'd have to have a lot of guts to start him, but um, I think he's a sneaky good pick. Definitely. Were, one... his, were his scores impacted by no Aaron Hall? 
Well, I mean, Aaron Hall played in the JLT, so... Um, he played in the first one. Did he play in the second? Yeah, and then he got injured after that, but he, he dominated yeah, we could, both of them. We should probably edit that out then. No, no, I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> All right, so uh, going on to the, to the next mid-pricer, Matt Kennedy, 356k. Yeah, so 62 and 76 in the two JLT games, uh, not enough scoring potential. I don't know how you found that so quickly because I didn't even warn you that I was going to put that in there. Um, Jaeger O'Meara, <laughs> 315k. Someone that you have to have big cojones to select but could pay off for you considering everyone's now staying away. Um, he's actually... Wait, I, I, that's incorrect because he's. I noticed he's in a, quite a lot of teams. Someone that I'm not going to go near personally because I think he'll break down by about round five. So a no-go for me. Yeah, I, I can't believe how many teams is in JB. He's in 25% of teams. Um, is, is that because of his 90 in JLT2? Like, have I missed something where they've said he's going to play 22 games this year? I uh, find it astounding. I think he gets a lot of rest, and I think he has a lot of games below 100 while he still just develops. And not only that, I think between you and I and Chizo, we, we've probably reviewed, like, I can't even count how many teams. Uh, well, I can, but it's probably over well over 100 and I'd say there's like five with Jaeger. So I don't know who is selecting um, Jaeger and Mira. It does not make any sense <laughs> to me. The same people that have got Petrarca in their team. <laughs> I guess that's true. That is true. They're we all just hiding. Teams. They're hiding on another <laughs> podcast or something, getting them to review them. Uh, I don't really know where they are. Um, anyway, we'll move on to the next uh, mid-pricer. David Armitage, 310k. Great first game. Uh, good second game. Underrated second JLT game. Someone that I expect to do better than Omira, but someone that I don't expect... Oh, it's hard to explain. I don't really have a position for him in my team. Otherwise, he'd probably be my, my picked mid-pricer between 400 and 250k. So yeah. I like him. I like the pick. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's scored really well in the past. You know, he, scored, he has 109 as one of his uh, season averages. And then he's kind of consistent in the 90s. That The back injury, though was a massive blow. Um, it's, it's hard to come back from that after, you know, you're 29 years of age and um, you've got all these young on-ballers around you that are all improving. Um, I know, to me, it looked like he struggled um, a little bit at the end of the JLT2, not JLT1, though. He actually dominated in the, the end of the match. So I'm not quite sure what to expect from Armitage, but I wouldn't really be surprised if he averaged 90. Um, and I also wouldn't really be surprised if he averaged 80. So I'm not really... Mu- much help here um if you think he's... i do agree though it's hard to it's hard to call yeah if, if you think he's going to average 90 then pick him no one is going to be like oh that's a bad pick because you think he's going to average 90 so um yeah go for it if if you believe that and jb i'll uh, ask you about the next one which uh i haven't prepared but here we go jack graham 268k a lot of people are a big fan of jack graham we get a lot of questions 60 in his only JLT match and 67% time on ground, which actually isn't too bad, especially for what you're paying for him. I just don't see where he gets his big scores from or even like 80-plus scores from in that Richmond side. Um, I think they'll be very good this year. and I think he averages about uh, between 60 and 75-ish. I, I don't think he's as good as people... or I don't think he'll go as well as people think he will. But I think he's a good player. Yeah, I think 70 to 75 is probably fair. Um, and I'm just not sure that he's going to make you enough cash at 268k unless he you know, bags four um, like he's done before and, and has a massive game. It, it's hard to see. But if he gets named round one, um, we've, we've definitely been asked this a couple of times, if he's named round one, which is a massive if. 
Cam Ellis Yolman is 263k. We know in the past he has been able to score well. He's very cheap. Would you select Cam Ellis Yolman? I think he gets named round one. I know a lot of Crows fans uh, rate him, and most people that I speak to in grads to him like his game style and want him in the team. So I think, I mean, they're not coaches, obviously, but that would radiate down from anyone just just down and up. It goes both ways. Uh, that That's how physics works, everyone. Um, 102 from 66% time on ground might have just locked his position in itself. Then 66 in the second JLT wasn't as impressive, but I still think he plays round one. I don't think we should select him. I'd rather pay the extra 50K for Armitage. Uh, I'd almost rather play the extra bit for Jack Graham, to be honest. I think Ellis Yolman averages around the 70 mark as well. Uh, I just don't think he'll be named round one, so for me it's a bit of a non-issue. I think I'd kind of look at it a bit more. If not, I probably wouldn't. I, I just don't see him named in the side, and if he is named, I, I see him out relatively quickly. Maybe he gets the six to eight games that Brad crouches out, so maybe he'll be in for six to eight games, in which case he actually has a decent scoring potential as well, so... Maybe not one to rule out. We'll just have to wait and see um, if his name's or not. But something to consider for, for people out there. This one, I know you haven't considered JB. Um, I don't think anyone's considered, but price fits, so I'll, I'll have to mention it. Michael Riscatelli, 251K. Well, he averaged 47 off of his 85% time on ground in both games, so no. Uh, <laughs> he's very cheap. He's been good in the past, but... I don't think he'll be good this year, um, so let's just not talk about him. Fair enough, but this player <laughs> actually uh, did score well in the JLT. He, he scored a 96 in the first one and a 75 in the second one for an 86 average. Robbie Fox, J, JB, 232k, probably not in the round one side, but but it's possible. It, it is possible that he will be named for round one for the Swans. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Robbie Fox? Yeah, I think he I think he does play round one, and he did have a good JLT, and I do see him on a lot of teams. But when Hanbury comes back, Fox will actually I don't, well Hanbury won't directly impact his scoring. But the more players Sydney gets back, the more Fox is scoring potential goes down. I think it ends up with a full squad if Fox is able to sneak in it around that seventy mark as well. So someone that you'd rather just pay for a, a midfield spot and bank the hundred k. Yeah, I mean, Fox looks like he's going to be a really good player, but uh, honestly, when, when they've got a full set of players playing, I don't know if he gets a gig, and um, Hanbury might actually play round one as well, so it might save some people who are considering Fox, and then he's just, you know, not named. And JB, I think that wraps up every mid-pricer um, possible. Well, not possible, because we didn't talk about the guns like Jimmy Tumpus and Stuff like that. Yeah, I was but... going to bring him up as well. <laughs> well, we'll move on to uh, the rookie section, JB. Well, what we'll do is we'll talk about our structure and what we're thinking of doing with our rookies in the midfield this season. Uh, if you want a, a good rookie report pistol, you can go onto our website, drsc.com.au, and check out Pistol's Rookie Recap, which I think summarizes it really well, very short and sharp, better than what we could do in our short amount of time here. And let's talk about our structures. So, Pistol, how many expensive 150k plus uh, rookies are you looking at going in with this season in your midfield? <laughs> I'm actually excited because I want to know what your team looks like. Um, but I 
I don't know if it's a secret. I don't know how secret, secretive we're being between each other, but um, I only have one uh, expensive rookie above 150k in my midfield, uh, and I don't know if you've got one or two. So uh, lay it on me. What? How many do you have? I have the one, and it's the same player that you have. And my follow-up question <laughs> is: Is he possibly the biggest locked rookie that we could pick this year? And that's Angus Brayshaw. Oh, I have Ben Jacobs at 200k, so um, we, that's awkward. <laughs> We've just picked different players. No, no. Um, I have. Uh... The fact of the matter is it's Andrew Brayshaw, not Angus. So, I mean, my player's a little bit over 300k. <laughs> that is very but true. But Andrew Brayshaw. <laughs> Andrew Brayshaw is a lock. I, I don't know any other way to say it. He, I think everyone already knows because he's already in above um, 40% of teams. He... He just dominated the JLT like nothing that you would think a rookie could possibly do. I mean, he scored 87 in 66% game time and then 97 in 67% game time. So he's got a 92 average from 66% game time, which is just absolutely insane. Like uh, there's no reason why you you shouldn't or can't put um, Brayshaw into your side. He's easily the best best rookie choice, JB. Excellent. And that leaves me with the question of how many bottom place rookies are you having in your midfield? I assume it's just the one, uh, with that being Nick Holman, but I have seen a couple floating around, and we spoke about a Sydney player that was floating around, but uh, what are you going in with? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you can't really go past Holman. 102, it's just so cheap for somebody that's going to actually get games. And not only did he is he going to get games... He scored really well in the JLT. He scored an 84 and a 74 for an average of 79. Um, so look, anyone that at that price that's averaging like more than 50 makes you cash so quickly. So um, Holman as well, 102K. You just got to lock him in. JB, let's not talk about um, mid-prices and primos. Let's just say uh, how many rookies in total in the midfield position uh, you are, you're, you're starting. So currently... I believe, as I, unlike my phone, I believe I have five. So starting with the six big midfielders, uh, the sixth being Coniglio, and then the five rookies, uh, obviously two on field, one being Brayshaw, which is locked in, and then just a rotating door between the other four as to who can impress me the most and get put on the field for the next week <laughs> i think it's i think it's becoming less popular having the five i think a lot of people are trusting the six uh having kelly on their field and someone like banfield or holman what's your preferred method because as we've said we're, we're, we have to ask these questions as we're a bit blind on each other's teams but what is your method going into the season well i won't tell you who my uh M6 is. I know you just said oh. yours is Caniglio, but so I won't share that information. But I will say uh, to you that <laughs> I do have uh, five rookies as well. Um, and yeah, I, I guess no one is going to go past uh, Bailey Banfield, 123k. Um, he had a really impressive JLT. And look, he, he scored a 96 and a 76. He averaged um, 86 and in basically no time on ground as well, because the 96 was from 39% time on ground, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, he seems to 
basically, if he plays well, he's he's going to earn his spot in that side. I mean, the Hill brothers are coming back, but I don't think that's really going to affect him as much as people believe. Um, I like to think that he will be rewarded for his good efforts, and he actually looks like a really, really good player. Um, so I've got full faith um, that Bailey Banfield will hold his position. We've got Tim Kelly, 117K. He's a lock in everybody's side. He just scores so well. Um, he looks like a completely comfortable, ready-made AFL player. Lock in Tim Kelly. Um, but JB, let's talk about, well, we've got a couple of people that we can talk about, but one that we've uh, skipped past, well, a couple we've skipped past, let's talk about the Dows of the world, the, the Davy Zuniaki of the world, and the, the Will Brodies of the world. Out of those three, actually, let's let's add in Hunter Clark as well. That's He's 175k, so a bit cheaper. Out of those four, give, put them in order for me. Okay. Uh, I think it's quite easily Will Brody at number one. Uh, showed very good scoring potential in the first JLT, 72 off 69%. Uh, only 64 off 77% in the second one. But if he does average around that 70 to 80 mark, well, actually, oh, let's cross out that to 80 mark. If he does average around the 70 mark, it's a good pick. And I think he's got the potential to do it. I'm not supremely confident in the fact that he will do it. My second pick would be, and this is where it gets pretty tough, would probably be Hunter Clark. So 83 in his first JLT match off 61% just showed me a lot about what he could do. And then still 44 off 69%. I mean, that could get up to a 60 by the end of the game if he plays uh, a full uh, percentage of game time that he, he could for a rookie. That's not too bad, so he'd probably go second. And then, unfortunately, for Davies, Uniac, the third place would be Paddy Dow, who just looks like a beast but didn't score too well. And then Uniac, who didn't really look like a beast and didn't score too well. <laughs> no, that's yeah. that, that's a fair call, JBR. I actually was surprised where you put Hunter Clark because um, I also had him second, but that's because of his uh, scoring potential, not because of his job security. If I had to, obviously, which you do, kind of have to factor it all in, you, kind of, you know that... Hunter Clark's the the scoring potential is probably a little bit better, but that job security just bites away at me. And I think Dow and um, Davy Zuniaki can. I'm just going to call him LDU because it's too hard saying his last name over and over again. Um, <laughs> Dow and LDU, I think both have good job security, but I just wasn't really impressed with Paddy Dow. I know he was so ferocious on the ball, and like he'll be a good AFL player, but being ferocious around <laughs> around the ground doesn't earn you super coach points. And I just feel like. LDU, although he didn't get enough of the ball and didn't score well, I just think he's going to have so much opportunity in that North Melbourne side. He's going to have to start scoring okay. Um, so for me, I think weirdly, um, or I guess the unpopular opinion, I'm just going to put Dow as uh, fourth. So just one little switch compared to yours, JB. Yeah, and I think it's fair enough. Uh, Davies Uniac obviously will have a lot of opportunity in that job security should be rock solid, even though it's Scott and we don't exactly trust those shifty-eyed brothers. However, that should wrap us up, Pistol, unless you've got any last additions to the podcast. I do, and you're a Port fan, so you're going to like this one. We're going to talk Uh-oh. very quickly about your thoughts because he's been left out of uh, a lot of people's teams that are being revealed. Um, Dom Barry being left out of a lot of teams is still in 36% of teams um, in Supercoach, but a lot of the uh, other teams we're seeing around the place are leaving Dom Barry out. What's the go with that, JB? Do you want to explain it? 
Well, in my honest opinion, <clears throat> before Pittard was ruled out for five weeks, Don Barry would be a 50-50 shot at round one selection, um, or round two selection, I should say. So I think he was always going to play round one and then was very susceptible to a dropping. Now that Pittard's out for five weeks, I think he's decent enough in job security, but we just have a lot of that type of player. So if Jack Trengrove, um, who isn't that type of player, but does play that a midfield role, um, if we think that for one week we did, we need more midfielders, um, we could easily slot someone else at halfback and and put Jack Trengrove in instead of Don Barry. So he could have good SNFL form. Jake Need plays a role that isn't the same, but again, if we need that pressure player in the forward line, Jake Need could easily come in for Don Barry as well. So I think Barry is just in that awkward spot of being the 22nd best player or 23rd or 24th, and he'll be probably switched a bit around, but I guess best case scenario is he plays the first five rounds, we get a few price jumps, and and that's it from him. It's, it's sort of hard to tell. I, I think... The biggest issue with Barry is we really just don't know what we're going to see from him in 2018. Yeah, and obviously Gray suspended round one is going to come back. So that's uh, potentially bad news for Barry going into round two. So look, I think it's a bit confusing here because if Barry plays well, he's going to play for five weeks in a row. Um, And if he plays for five weeks in a row, the average is 60. um, He goes up just shy of 100K. Um, which is decent enough, especially because you don't have to trade him out then. You know he's probably going to be in and out uh, of the team, um, depending on the opponent and, and injuries and you know the whole works um, throughout the season. So he's someone that you could just hide away at M11 and just not think about and you know cash him in around the buy rounds or, or, or something like that. But at the same time, if you think he's going to be dropped in round two, um, then you have to stay away. There's no point, you know, getting another Brett Eddy um, who burned everyone last year. Um, in which case, there's not too many other options. You might have to go with a, a DPP, sort of like a Garlet, um, unless you obviously pay up big to to one of the big four uh, rookies that we talked about before, JB. Um, so I think, do you have any anything else to add? Uh, no, we do need to talk about the Cancer Council, however, because we did get a couple of donations last time we chatted about him, and I think we're tracking well for the season. Did we? Okay, well, go for it. Uh, shoot out the uh, Cancer Council, and, and make sure, everybody, if you do enjoy the podcast or do enjoy the content over the preseason, as well as um, what we'll provide throughout the season, um, we'll post this in the SoundCloud uh, comment, or sorry, the, the description, as well as on the Facebook comments. Um, it's just a usual thing we do every year where we raise money for the Council Council of Victoria um, in just a fun, wacky way. You can either donate however much you want um, if you enjoy the content or you can uh, make a pledge and, and donate per donut that you that you get throughout the year, which is a zero score on your field um, or something like that. And it uh, means a lot to us every time you donate. So uh, thanks everyone for doing that. Yeah, and uh, today we got a donation of the, the $50 from Throts, who was a big donator last year. Uh, sending a torpedo from New York City for a cure to this dreadful disease. So uh, thanks again, Throts. You've been a great, uh, great contributor to this cause. And we appreciate every dollar and cent that we see going here. And Pistol, we're already $267 towards our goal. 
Yeah, no, it's awesome. And thanks so much, Throts. Um, I know you've contributed over the last two years as well. So, um, yeah, that means a lot to us. And JB, I think uh, we're going to end off here. And if you guys have any questions before lockout, I know it's going to be uh, panicky. Um, don't send it to us because we got enough on our plate. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you can find <laughs> us. You can find us on Twitter. Um, you can find me at, at uh, pistol underscore drsc. JB at jb underscore drsc. And of course, Chizo, the man who uh, has pretty much held us together over the the preseason, being on every pod except for this one, I think. Um, Chizo underscore drsc. Um, we'll yeah happily get to your questions. Um, and as always, if you have urgent news, um, put in the uh, the uh, subject pistol i have urgent urgent news and uh email us at what's our email jb d-r-s-c-p-o-d at gmail.com that's it and <laughs> and we'll do our best to get back to you i must say that we've had about oh what like a hundred emails in the last day and a half so we're trying to work our way through all of them um i think we're pretty much up to date but we'll do our best to get back to you um before before uh, the first match and, and lockout and all that jazz, so um, yeah, just uh, just shoot us a message uh, if you if you need some help. Yeah, and the the messages are down to anyone that's messaged us in the last day has uh, generally been answered. So we will get to you. We're, we're smashing through them as much as possible, but do remember we're getting about twenty an hour, so it's coming through very very thick and fast, and it's easy for it to build up on us. Uh, obviously, the main Twitter is Dr. Underscore SC as well if you want to hit us up there. So uh, thank you very much for joining me, Pistol. And this is our last preseason podcast. So back into <laughs> the real season. It's been a, a drag as much as it's been a real, real quick ride to get to this, this round one game. And I'm very excited for what the season has to offer. And I think we'll be doing some team reveals once the, the lockout begins. Or, or maybe ends for round one. We're not sure yet. So uh, I'm very keen to see how you go week one as well, Pistol. Yeah, I'm actually very excited to see yours and uh, Chizo's teams, which I haven't seen before. And uh, make sure if you've enjoyed the podcast to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you can basically hear our round one thoughts immediately as soon as our lockout's almost over. And uh, we'll catch you later, community. It's huge.